your Bibles to the book of Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, we're going to begin uh, a brand new sermon series. Uh, it's actually entitled Follow, but it's Learning to Follow Jesus. And I want to say uh, yesterday was the uh, 20th anniversary of 9-11. Uh, I want to just mention before we begin and jump into the message this morning, how thankful I am to be an American and how thankful and blessed uh, that I feel that God allowed me to be born here and uh, the freedoms that we have enjoyed uh, as a nation for 245 years. Uh, don't take that for granted uh, and don't take for granted uh, what God has done in allowing us uh, to be a, a symbol of freedom and hope uh, for the world. And I'm thankful for all those who've sacrificed and those who lost their lives on September 11th, uh, we still mourn with them. We remember them and their families and uh, those who've given their lives uh, since then uh, to protect our freedoms. Uh, we are thankful and grateful for your sacrifice. And uh, my prayer as a nation is that God would continue to show his grace and favor on our nation and that we would experience that once again. And we remember and reflect on those who've lost their lives, the thousands who have given their lives over the 20 years to ensure our freedoms. And uh, we're thankful. Make sure you take time to thank those who have served our country and are continuing to serve those, the first responders that are ministering around the, the nation today to provide our freedoms. Make sure you let them know how much you appreciate them this morning. The book of Mark, the gospel of Mark, I'm going to ask for a handheld if I can, just so we can quit uh, crackling this morning. But uh, this morning, the book of Mark revolves around the life and ministry of Jesus. And it's from the perspective of Mark or John Mark. Mark's one of the four gospel writers who wrote uh, primarily to the Romans and telling them that uh, Jesus is the suffering servant uh, who would come and ultimately give his life a ransom for many. We're thankful for that. This gospel record is fast moving. In fact, of all of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Mark is the shortest. Uh, just 16 chapters. All right. Uh, it's fast uh, moving and it's the shortest one. He, include, he does not include the birth of Christ. And so if when you're thinking about the different, we don't usually go to Mark. Uh, at Christmas time, because it doesn't usually, it doesn't mention the birth of Christ. It doesn't give a lot of the miracles uh, of, of Christ. Some of them, a few of the parables are mentioned in the book of Mark. But it's, it's a book about discipleship. It's a book about follow, learning to follow Jesus and what that looks like for us as, as followers this morning. Uh, he was the cousin of uh, uh, Barnabas and uh, accompanied Paul on his first missionary journey. Uh, you'll, uh, if you remember, and we'll get to that later, uh, we'll talk about this later uh, during this series, but uh, he left Paul along that missionary journey. Paul and him had kind of a falling out, and uh, Paul kind of got irritated with him, and he went back to Jerusalem, and uh, then later on, uh, he, Paul once again counted him profitable for the ministry. And so uh, anyway, as you look at this series, it's, it's really about learning to follow Jesus and follow him immediately, learning to what it's like when Christ speaks, we obey. We, we find immediate obedience in our, our life with Christ. I want to invite you to start the book of Mark chapter 1. We'll beginning reading uh, in verse 1 as we go verse, through, verse by verse to the book of Mark. I believe that God is going to speak to each of our hearts about what it means to truly follow Jesus. 
what that looks like in 2021 in our current uh, uh, time period. It says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it's written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea, all Jerusalem were going out to him, were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt uh, around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. Now, uh, my wife and I were on a date on Monday night over off of Western Boulevard. Uh, we had to stop by and uh, deliver something to our daughter at Meredith College. And uh, she said, oh, I know this really good hibachi and sushi place uh, just around the corner. And, and we're standing in line, and there's a person in front of me in a dress and they have hairy legs. And I'm, I'm thinking, this is an interesting thing. And she says, we're over by State's campus. She's like, you're going to see all kinds of stuff over here. And I'm telling you, it was a little bit strange, and it kind of caught me off guard. And I'm not even going to get into that this morning. But anyway, here's John the Baptist. He's clothed in camel's hair, wore a leather boot, uh, and ate locust and wild honey. He was quite the character uh, in his day. And uh, it says he preached, saying, after me comes... He who is mightier than I, and a strap, uh, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist was the forerunner to Jesus. In fact, if you read, and I want you to read it later today, Isaiah chapter 40, the first five verses tells of the ministry that John the Baptist would ultimately have and preparing the way for the Messiah's ultimate entry into the, onto the scene. And you may remember it if you've ever listened to Handel's Messiah at Christmas time. It comes from this very passage in Isaiah chapter 40. And, and it says, Comfort you, my people, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And uh, so read that passage a little bit later for reference, but that's where these first few verses of Mark chapter 1 are originating from. And Jesus ultimately pleased his Father in what he did and what he didn't do. As followers of Jesus this morning, we should seek to imitate his obedient lifestyle. So let's jump into verse 9 of our text. It says, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized, verse 9 says, in the Jordan. When he came up out of the water... Immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son in whom I am well, what church? Pleased. What an awesome statement. If you just want to pause there for just a second. For a, a son to hear their father say, I'm pleased with you. I, I'm proud of you. You've done well. You've served well. You have been faithful. And, and, and I love seeing it. It says, the Spirit immediately sending him on, on him like a dove. And it says, drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was in the wild with the wild animals. And the angels were ministering to him. Imagine for just a moment this morning what it must be like, uh, you know, for... Jesus did not have to be baptized. He was God incarnate. He was God in the flesh. And he was deity. He was the son of God. Yet he chose to be baptized. 
And, and, and it made his father proud. I love this, this side of humanity because it gives us oftentimes when you think about our relationship with our earthly father and then you compare that to our relationship with our heavenly father and how it must please the Lord when we are obedient, when we're faithful, when we're using the, the, the gifts and the talents that God has given us for his glory, how he must look down with, with pride and, and seeing his children living obedient lives. When he sees you being a, a godly man, a godly husband, a godly father, a godly wife, a godly mother, a, a, a role model for other people, when he sees you faithfully serving uh, within the, uh, the, the talents that God has gifted us in, it must be awesome for him to watch and see us being faithful. I don't know about you, but most of his children... We desire to make our fathers proud. We desire to hear our dad, our dad say, I'm proud of you, son. Put that arm around you and say, I'm proud of you. I, I, I'm, you've done really good. I'm, I'm proud of how hard you've worked. And when you get that, that A on an exam that you've worked really hard or a project or a paper. And, you know, when you're there for your children, when they come off the soccer field and and they've scored a goal or they've won a, a big tournament or, or football or baseball or, or, or in our family lacrosse. And you, you see all those things and you watch them make those big steps in their life. And, and you watch them uh, work hard and, and see it pay off in the end. It's an awesome thing. When you see them excel in the classroom, it's awesome. When they graduate from high school, uh, there's a, a certain uh, sense of pride and, uh, you know, uh, a year and a half ago, it was a little bit weird whenever, you know, there's no actual graduation for the class of 2020. And, and our daughter, Liz, walks into the lunchroom at her school and they gave her her diploma. And a little anticlimactic, and to say the least. But, you know, we were proud of her nonetheless. And, you know, when, when your child graduates from college, there's a sense of, of excitement. Even when I got my master's a, as an adult married man with four kids, I remember thinking, my wife said, are you going to go and walk? And I was like, absolutely, and you're going too. I was like, we've worked on this thing for years, and we're walking across that stage and getting that diploma. And, and there's something about the, the accomplishment and also the sense of making our parents proud. Here is, as we examine this morning, how fitting this morning that we're baptizing as we're talking about, here's Jesus who didn't have to do this but yet he set an example for the rest of us. I see he's faithful and he made his father proud in the water. And in verses 9 of, of Mark chapter 1, he says, In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Much of the son's ministry is setting an example uh, that we should, what we should do and also exhibiting what we could not do. Jesus set the example for every follower of Jesus. The first, first act of obedience after salvation uh, is what Christ set the example in, in baptism. In, in other words, what it's saying is, you and I, once we receive Christ as our Savior, that very next step for us is to say, I want to follow Jesus as example of what he did here in Mark chapter 1 and being baptized. And, and it's identifying with his death, with his burial, and ultimately with his resurrection uh, on, on the cross. And so that first act of obedience after salvation, it, we are to follow in baptism. And, and I get the fact, sometimes people say, well, Pastor David, I don't like crowds. I, 
I get intimidated easily and I don't like to be up in front of people and I would just as soon be in the backdrop, in the background. I don't want my name in lights and anybody else like that in the building. Uh, can I just say, I was like that for the longest time. And, you know, I, I was terrified the very first Sunday I had to get up and give announcements in church. I was, I'm sure I probably stuttered through the whole thing and probably looked like a deer in the headlights. But there's something about being faithful and being obedient and there's something uh, amazing about knowing that we're pleasing our father and taking that next step of obedience and so here what's what he's saying he says uh, so i understand how people sometimes get nervous about being up in front of people but when jesus died on the cross he didn't do it in private think about that for a moment he didn't do it in private he publicly stretched out his arms on a cross and was nailed to a cross, had a crown of thorns he was beaten and spit upon and hung naked on an old rugged cross and died for our sins publicly. Folks, the least that you and I can do is go through a baptismal water and saying, I'm not ashamed of what Jesus did in sacrificing and dying on the cross. Can I get a witness this morning? Because at the end of the day, it's not about us. You say, well, Pastor David, I just don't like crowds. I don't like, I, I, you know what, I, over the years I've had people say, Pastor David, you know, I, I don't go to church that much. I just, I'm not big into crowds. And, you know, sometimes you get there and you, there's just all these people. And I don't like getting around all these people. And you know what? Those are the very exact same people I run into the first Friday night of the state fair. I mean, I'm, let's get serious. I hate crowds. And that's the biggest crowd of the entire year of the fair is on Friday night. Listen, I just don't like getting in crowds, Pastor David. You see them at the mall on a Saturday afternoon, and there's like 5,000 people storming down through the mall. And boy, they're there. I mean, you see them at the flea market, and it's like crawling like ants. But they don't like crowds and can't go to church. Let's stop making excuses and, and be obedient and faithful in the area of baptism and, and he set the example he did this what we cannot do in paying for our own sins baptism is an outward sign of an inward change before Christ uh, before Christ, uh, Christ we were dead in our sins but after coming to faith in Christ what's he say he says we are raised to walk in newness of life in fact that upright position when you're upright in the water, it's identifying with his death on the cross. When you go down, it's identifying with his burial. When you come up, you're identifying with his glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the question to ask is, why did he get baptized? Why did Jesus have ever thought about that? Why did he get baptized? In Matthew's gospel, John said he needed to be baptized by Jesus. But here in Matthew chapter 3, if you go back, it says John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And, and you come to me? And Jesus answered him and said, he says, let it be so now, for thus it's fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. You see what happens is Jesus says, I've got to do this in order to set an example for my children, for, for those followers who are going to come after me I'm setting an example for you to follow in your life. So when you take that next step in baptism, you're being obedient to your heavenly father and what he's called us to do in being a faithful steward of the gospel. And baptism doesn't save us. 
but it's a picture of the cleansing process where with Jesus made our dark, sinful hearts white as snow. And think about it, he wasn't confessing his sins. Jesus was sinless. Yet in his baptism, he joined those who seek to confess their sins. He aligned himself with those that he came to save. And in his baptism this morning, we see he associated himself with us as sinners and placed himself amongst the guilty, not for his own salvation, but for ours. His baptism ultimately looked forward to the cross. When he would die, when he would be buried, when he would ultimately rise again from the grave. And I think it's awesome this morning as we're getting ready to watch those of you that are taking that next step in baptism. It's following an example that Jesus set really long before he died on the cross. Three and a half years before he died on the cross, he set that example for us to father and to follow. And his baptism, we see his father's affirmation, the son's obedience. We see the spirit's empowerment in this whole process. In fact, verse 10, it says, when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven that said, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Dads, don't ever underestimate the impact of telling your children how much you love them. Telling them how much you appreciate them. I, I saw a, a video the other day and, and someone was talking about their dad was on their deathbed. And that was the first time they ever heard them say, I love you. God help us. After the, watching the videos uh, yesterday of, of, of 9-11, and I, I read the transcripts of some of those phone calls uh, of Todd Beamer, and he's talking to the operator, and he says, please tell my wife I love her. Tell my two kids I love them, and I'm proud of them, and I know they're going to go on to do great things. And, and I, was, I, was, I mean, I was bawling as I was, I was reading that. But folks, we don't know what tomorrow holds. Let your kids, let your family know how much you love them. In fact, I love when I talk to my dad every single time he says, I love you. I love you. And we've passed on that same tradition to our kids. When we talk to them, we let them know we love them. And we're affirming them. We're encouraging them. But what did Jesus hear? He says, you're my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Was Jesus insecure in who he was? Absolutely not. But it's a model and it's a testimony to us of what it means to glorify and please our Father, folks. I love that he was, he was pleased in the water. And what did Jesus hear? He says, God was pleased with his commitment to go as a humble servant and lay down his life a ransom for many. There's nothing like hearing a child, uh, a child hearing their father say, I'm proud of you. You did good. And, and so the heavenly father was pleased with his son example uh, as each one of us uh, as well, whenever we are follow him in obedience. But we see not only was he obedient in the water, made him proud, and we see also in the wilderness. Look at verse 12 of our text. He says, the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. You see, Jesus waged war on Satan's home turf when he came to earth. 
When he came as a baby all of those years ago and entered onto planet Earth, he's waging war on Satan's domain, Satan's turf, and, and it was for the souls of man. Satan w- was furious. Satan used temptation and opposition to try to hinder the work of Christ every single place that he went. And folks, if you're going to do anything for God today, can I tell you he's going to tempt you and try you on every single front. If you're seeking to take ground back from the enemy, Satan is going to fight you. If you're stepping out to do something for God, Satan is going to fight you. When you are saying yes to God, he's going to fight you. But folks, let me just say, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. God is going to get, he's on your side. And one with God is a majority every single time. I'm thankful that every single time I step out and I feel the opposition, I feel the oppression of the enemy, I'm thankful that God is within me, empowering me, giving me His strength, His power, His might to be bold in my witness of Jesus. So don't forget that in the midst of demonic conflict, never neglect angelic support. God is right there. He's giving us his power and his strength. And sometimes we might wonder, why am I tempted so much? Why is it that God keeps trying me? Have you ever read the book of Job? I mean, seriously, we have no clue the, the, the depths of, of, of how much he was tempted and tried. And, and yet, folks, God gave him the strength to say no to the enemy and yes to the Savior. Sometimes we ask, why am I tempted? Sometimes it seems like it's such a burden just coping with the day-to-day temptations of this life that never seem to go away. And, and sometimes you might be tempted to say, if God really loves me, why am I being tempted so much? Can we just be real this morning? Any of us ever fall into that trap? Because, folks, sometimes the devil will say, where's your God in all of this? Sometimes after 9-11, people were saying, where was God on 9-11? Where was, why did he spare all those lives and those towers and, and the Pentagon? And folks, I will never forget that morning because my sister worked on Capitol Hill. She worked on one of the house office buildings uh, right there at the Capitol. And, and, and we didn't know what the next target was. And you know, we were sitting there going, I mean, is it going to be the Capitol? Is it the White House? What is it going to be? And, and we, let, we literally on pins and needles, this was before a lot of the technology that we have today. And, and you think about, I mean, just text her. Well, there was no text back then. And so we were calling and calling and calling and you couldn't get through. And thank God they evacuated all of Capitol Hill. And she said, we were running into neighborhoods and, and scattering as far away from the Capitol building as we could possibly get. And they finally got to someone's house and, and they were holed up there for several hours and eventually got safely back home. And I remember two or three days later, I drove up there and and Debbie lived literally blocks from the Pentagon. And we walked down the hill to the Pentagon and uh, smoke was still rising from the ashes. And I'm sitting there the whole entire time, I was terrified, is my sister going to be alive? Is she going to be next? Were they gonna be targeted? And, and we finally got the word that she was safe and she was okay. And folks, it was such a horrific feeling, a sense of helplessness. But in all of that, God still provided strength. 
And folks, there's nothing like the presence of God and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding when we're tempted, when we're tried, and to know that God is right there in the midst of it every single step of the way. And, and folks, I, I love the way here even Christ was tempted, and yet the angels of heaven ministered to him. A number of years ago, the Douglas Aircraft Company was competing with Boeing to sell Eastern Airlines its first big jets. And war hero Eddie Rickenbacker, the head of Eastern Airlines, reportedly told Donald Douglas, he says that the specifications and claims made by Douglas Company for the DC-8 were close to Boeing's on everything except noise suppression. Rickenbacker then gave Douglas one last chance to outpromise Boeing on this feature. After consulting with his engineers, Douglas reported that he didn't feel he could make that promise. Rickenbacker replied, he said, I know you can't. He says, I just wanted to see if you were still honest. Now think about it for just a second. Christian character is not a result of leading a life that's free of temptation. The temptations are going to be there. Temptation is a part of every Christian's life. Just look at Christ. Here for 40 days, he was in the wilderness being tempted of the devil. The, 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 uh, 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 the, his flesh and the pride of life and, and all of these things he was tempted. And, and you can go back to Mark chapter, Matthew chapter 4 and read all of the, the story of, of the temptations of Christ here. But what happens is the test of the Christian character is not that you're tempted, but it's that you stand up during that temptation that you're faithful in the midst of, of the trials and challenges of this life. Christians of good character are tempted and will always be tempted. But true character depends upon resisting the devil's advances, not being free of them. You see what happens is, as you and I go throughout life, we're going to face various trials. And James tells us we can rejoice. We can have joy knowing that those trials are perfecting our faith and they're making us more and more like Jesus Christ. Character is a product of reacting to sin, not facing it. When we react to sin by fleeing from it, as was Christ, we'll be attended by angels and given the strength to stay the course. Remember that. You're going to face trials. But folks, he overcame the world. He overcame all of those temptations. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days by Satan. And I don't know if you've ever considered our souls hung in the balance. Had Jesus given into that temptation and, and worshipped Satan, folks, he would have sinned and we would have not had a savior. His, his job would have been thwarted. But folks, that was not the plan of God and, and that's not the character of God. He, he is unable to sin, but uh, it, it was awesome to think he was, he was tempted and he had to give into that temptation. He couldn't have been the savior of the world. So think about it this morning. Jesus was faithful in the wilderness. Charles Colson, in his book, Who Speaks for God, tells of watching a segment of 60 Minutes in which host Mike Wallace interviewed Auschwitz survivor Yehul Dinor. Uh, it was a principal witness at the Nuremberg, Nuremberg war crime trials. During the interview, a film clip of Adolf Eichmann's 1961 uh, trial was, was viewed that showed Dinner uh, entered the courtroom and came face to face 
with Eichmann for the first time since being sent to Auschwitz over 20 years prior to that. Stopped cold, Denor began to sob uncontrollably and then fainted while the presiding judge pounded his gavel for order. Was Denor overcome by hatred? Was it fear? Was it horrid memories? Asked Colson. No, it was none of these. Rather, as Denor explained to Wallace, all at once he realized that Eichmann was not the godlike army officer who had sent so many to their deaths. He said this Eichmann was an ordinary man. And he said, I was afraid about myself, said Denor. I saw that I was capable of doing this. I am exactly like he. Wallace summed up the whole story of Denor's uh, terrible discovery. He said, Eichmann is in all of us. He said, it's a horrifying statement, but it captures the central truth about man's sinful nature. As a result of the fall, sin is in each one of us. Not just the susceptibility to sin, but sin itself. And so he says, Eichmann is in each one of us because all of us are in Adam. And it's proven by our susceptibility to temptation. So what happens is, he looked across at the most evil person who sent many, many people to their deaths and thought, that could be me. I'm capable of doing those horrific crimes against humanity. And folks, what happens is when we look and see ourselves as God sees us as a sinner in need of a Savior, we realize when Jesus saved our soul, he freed us from the enslavement and the entrapment of sin, and he offers us eternal life. He offers us a new home in heaven. In verse 12 and 13 of Mark chapter 1, he gives the most descriptive introduction of our Lord's temptation found in any gospel. Imagine, immediately after Jesus was baptized, the Spirit drove him into the wilderness for 40 days, and he was tempted by Satan. But he wasn't alone. Aren't you thankful this morning that when we do face temptation, we're not alone. We're not out there all by ourselves trying to figure out how to make sense of the struggles and the trials of this life. He wasn't alone. In the wilderness, the angels of God ministered to him. So no matter where we are as a child of God, he's with us this morning. He's with us in the the waiting room at the hospital. He's with us when we're talking to the doctor. He's with us when we've lost our job. He's with us when we've lost a loved one, when we've lost a friend, when we've lost... He's with us every single step of the way. And Isaiah 43 tells us in verse 2, when you pass through the waters, he says, I'll be with you. Through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. He says, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. And I love, I love these last two words. He says, your Savior. Your Savior. I died for you. Woo! Isn't that an awesome thing to consider this morning? He, if we know Christ is our Lord and Savior, He's ours. We can call on him in the greatest time of trial and temptation and know that he hears. I'm thankful no matter how difficult the journey of this life gets this morning, 
Christ knows where we're going, and He's been there. He's, he's touched, been touched with all those things. The Hebrews chapter 4 says we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are. What does that last phrase say? It says, yet without sin. In other words, he says Christ was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days by the devil and yet without sin. The most important factor in fighting temptation is we must be filled with the Spirit. We must be walking, putting on the whole armor of God and walking in the Spirit. Romans chapter 8 verse 9 says, You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. In other words, he says, as we are filled with the Spirit of God, he says, there's nothing that comes our way that the devil can do to us that the power of the Holy Spirit can help us overcome those temptations in our life. When Martin Luther was once asked how he overcame the devil, he replied, well, when he comes knocking upon the door of my heart and asks who lives here, he says, the dear Lord Jesus goes to the door and says, Martin Luther used to live here, but he's moved out. He says, now I'm here. Now I live here. And when Christ fills our lives, Satan has no entrance. Think about that for just a moment. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit of God, the power of God, Satan has no entrance. When we're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit of God, and I'm thankful for that. What's the application, Pastor? Jesus made his father proud by what he did and by what he did not do. So he made his father proud by what he did do and what he didn't do. Jesus' obedience through baptism showed his power for salvation through the waters of baptism. And it was the first act of his earthly ministry, just as baptism is the first act of obedience after we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So you think about this morning, what happened when Jesus wrote, when he ultimately came up from the water, it says the Spirit of God descended on him like a dove. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. That was the first act of his earthly ministry. And folks, the same thing is true for you and I today. Our first act of obedience as a follower of Jesus is going through the baptismal waters. I love when people get baptized because, folks, it's the beginning of a, a journey of following Jesus, obeying Jesus, being obedient to Jesus. And Jesus' victory over temptation showed his ability to restore us to a perfect paradise or perfect relationship. Even through temptation, Jesus rose victorious. The angels of heaven came and ministered to him. Folks, what an awesome picture this morning. How much more does the heavenly Father minister to us this morning when we are facing trials and temptations to know that he's right there every single step of the way, carrying us through the waters, through the fire, giving us victory. To make your Father proud this morning, what should you do? What is your next step? Think about that this morning. What is your next step of obedience as a follower of Jesus Christ? As we're beginning the book of Mark, and we see Christ taking that uh, step and example, setting an example for us. Some will be taking that example, that next step this morning. 
in obedience and baptism. For some of you, that very first step is believing that Jesus died on the cross and that he was buried and he rose again the third day. And this morning, you need to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. I wanna encourage you, don't delay, to, don't put off that decision to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning. If you know Christ is your Savior, but you've never taken that step in baptism, that first step, as these others that are gonna be doing that this morning, take that act of obedience, I wanna encourage you, let's talk about it. Let's, let's hear your story of, of when you came to faith in Jesus and let's talk about that next step and how you can take your next step in baptism. Some have been saved and been baptized. Maybe it's church membership or getting plugged in and serving or growing in a, in a small group. If God is speaking to your heart, be obedient and, and seek to make your Father, Heavenly Father proud in your next step. To make your Father proud, what should you not do? How can you say no to the temptations in your daily life so that God might be pleased with your life. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, Paul gives us an example and really the key says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. He says, God is faithful. He says, he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Sometimes I hear people say, well, God's not going to put more on me than I can handle. Yeah, He will. He does all the time, folks, because you can't handle it apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. Can I get a witness? Folks, you can't do it on your own. I can't imagine going through life in 2021 and not knowing Jesus Christ. The, the, the temptations are too strong. The pressure is too great. I, the the, the, the uh, I can't even fathom going through this road of life without knowing Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. But he says, no temptation can overtake you. He says, God's faithful. He's not going to allow you to be tempted or tried beyond your ability. With the temptation, he provides a way of escape. Who is that? What is that escape? The Holy Spirit of God. And folks, if you know Christ is your Savior, He's living within your heart this morning. And He says, that you may be able to endure it. I love that. It's, and folks, let me encourage you this week. Don't get discouraged about the temptation. Because God will with the temptation. He makes a way of escape. Well, I want you to read uh, Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20 in preparation for next Sunday. About how Jesus uses ordinary people and folks he doesn't go after the most talented the most gifted the most conceited and pious and self proud people no he goes after the least of these and those are the ones that God uses to do the greatest work for the kingdom of God Paul he says I'm the chiefest of sinners and yet God used him mightily Peter was there at the birth of the New Testament church in Acts, and he had denied even knowing Christ right before his crucifixion. Folks, you can only imagine if he could use them, how much more could he use each one of us if we'll be faithful and obedient as his followers. Heavenly Father, would you speak to our hearts this morning? God, I pray that you would do a mighty work. Lord, as we begin the, the book of Mark and, and learning what it means to follow you and follow Jesus immediately, follow you obediently, God, would you do a mighty work this morning 
in our hearts and lives. And Lord, the example that Jesus set through baptism, Lord, how he was obedient in the water and how he was obedient in the wilderness. Lord, it's an awesome thing to know that even in times of trial and temptation, Lord, you're always there. God, may you cause us to, to reflect on that this morning. Lord, those that have never placed their faith and trust in you for salvation, God, may this morning be that moment of decision where they bow their knee and confess you as Lord and Savior. Lord, those that have been saved that need to take their next step, and that may be baptism, God, would you call them this morning and, and, and direct their heart and life? And may they surrender and, and be baptized. Lord, I pray for those that need to take that next step towards membership or, or serving or getting plugged into a small group. God, would you do a mighty work in showing them that need and help them to live obedient lives for the sake of the gospel? God, we'll be careful to praise you for what you're going to accomplish here this morning. Precious. With heads bowed and eyes closed, let's stand to our feet.